Welcome to the first episode of our new podcast, Forward Kenosha Presents. In this series, we will be bringing you stories from around Kenosha County, as well as interviews with a variety of guests. On this episode, I sit down with Mary Motter and Zach Jacobs, two candidates for KUSD School Board on the April 4th ballot. First, we are sitting down with Mary Motter, candidate for KUSD School Board. Mary, thank you so much for sitting down to talk with us today. Do you want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I've been in the district since 1987. I was a substitute teacher for three years. And then I started at McKinley Middle School, which became McKinley Junior High, um, where I became a special education teacher. So uh, working with students with emotional and behavior problems. What led up to your decision to run for school board? I've been retired for three years now. So um, I actually had 28 years with the district, counting my substitute teaching. From 2009 to 2012, I was the release time president for the Kenosha Education Association. And during that time, I actually worked with the school board and with the administration on a lot of different issues. So I got to know a lot of the players. And I went to all the school board meetings because it was part of my job. When I retired, um, I was approached and I actually waited for three years uh, to, you know, sort of like, well, I'll think about it. And I wanted to distance myself a little bit. But it seemed like a sort of a natural choice because I've spent over 30 years advocating for children. And as my husband and a lot of people pointed out, this is a natural step. What do you feel is the most important issue currently facing the KUSD school board? I think the number one most important issue to address is the fact that post Act 10, and I'm not going to, Act 10 is over and done with, and we move on, so I'm not going to really speak on that. But one of the things with Act 10 is that the uh, bargaining rights for public employees were taken away. With that, the contract, and actually their voice. So they didn't really have a union or a group to stand up for them, although the Kenosha Education Association does still exist and still advocates for teachers. It's just the district doesn't really have to listen very closely. Now, Dr. Sue and uh, Chris Perillo with the Kenosha Education Association have been meeting and they have been talking about things. But one of the things that I hear the teachers talk about is that they really are losing a lot of their planning time. Now, if you're going to have excellent lessons, you need time to plan. They're getting more and more things piled on them. Meanwhile, the salaries have pretty much been frozen, although they have gotten bonuses every year. So the teachers that I've talked to are not very happy about that, but they're mostly unhappy with the fact that they're losing their planning time and they're not feeling like they have input in what's happening with the district. And they're professionals. They want to have a say-so in the classroom, and we should be listening. Teachers have always done a lot of things on their own time. But the thing with planning time at school is you're planning with a team, you're planning at school, you're talking with others, there's collaboration, and that's what needs to happen. The actual time at school with the others so they can plan great lessons. What is your opinion on having a public referendum to increase taxes in order to cover salary increases? Uh, In the past two elections, 
a lot of the referendums around the state have passed, showing that the public actually is in favor of teachers being paid a fair wage. But passing a referendum, even an open-ended one, means that you have to kind of rely on the good graces of the taxpayers every year to fund that schedule. It's much better to be able to look within the budget and stay within the budget so you don't have to constantly go back to the taxpayers. It would be better if we could figure out another way. That contract was thrown out, but they kept the pay scale in place. They just didn't let anybody move. Um, they have step and lane, so you can move across as far as getting credits. You can move up as far as years. Everybody stayed in place. However, they did get bonuses. And I believe one year they did get like a 1% raise. But it hasn't really kept up with inflation and things. And those teachers who have gotten extra credits and stuff are kind of feeling like, well, geez, we've gotten all this, these extra classes. We've done things necessary to retain our license. We just haven't gotten anywhere with them. They're leaving for other districts. There are other ways of rewarding teachers besides simply the money issue. There are other factors. Will you elaborate on some of what some of those factors would be? The time, the, the, the planning time. The, um, even now they're talking about increased uh, professional development, and I'm all, I love professional development, but you put in the professional development, you take away planning time. There's only so much time in the day. So they have to figure out some way of doing it. And I don't want to write really micromanage, but I do need them, the, the district, to look at different ways of providing this training for the teachers without taking away their planning time. And I think the teachers, if they were talked to, if they were part of the solution, could help to solve the problem. Across the district, we have to sort of make that the mantra, that prep time is essential and that teachers need to be listened to, and that policies coming down from the school board, you have to look at the impact on the classroom. Mary, what is your take on Common Core? First, I have to confess that um, I did uh, travel with Tony Evers uh, around the state back in 2009 when we were first working on getting the Common Core in Wisconsin. And uh, the thing with the Common Core is that actually we wanted to bring everybody else in the nation up to Wisconsin standards. What was happening prior to Common Core around the nation is that I would, well, I'll talk from my perspective. I would get a student in from another state, say Kentucky, say Illinois, and those students would be they may have already gotten done a unit that we are currently studying, so they had to repeat it. They may be so far behind that they needed remediation because they didn't have the same standards. So the Common Core, actually, the whole idea behind it was to make sure that everybody was sort of learning the same things at every grade level. Not the exact same lessons, but the same type of topics. So the um, eighth graders would study the Civil War before going on to ninth grade, that type of thing, so that they would sort of have an equal background no matter where they went, because we're a pretty transient society. Well, what actually ended up happening with the implementation of Common Core, because I'm totally in favor of the idea 
of Common Core. What happened with the implementation of Common Core is we started getting some of these textbooks, uh, which tend to be written in Texas and some other places, not from around here, and the lessons were just ridiculous. So it's, and then people would post and say, well, this is ridiculous. This Common Core makes no sense. It's not the Common Core that made no sense. It was those lessons. You have to separate. Common Core is simply the idea that everybody should be learning similar things at the same grade level. And you need certain steps before you move on to the next one. So if a fourth grader is supposed to be learning um, long division, okay, which is kind of tricky anyway, fourth and fifth grade uh, doing the long division, it wouldn't be, it would be the idea that fourth and fifth graders should be learning long division, not the lesson plan. The lesson plan is developed by the teacher, not by Common Core. Common Core simply says that at fourth grade, they're introduced to long division. People get pretty head up about it because they see some of these ridiculous lessons that were not developed by teachers. And finally, what is the overall message you would like to relay to voters before April 4th? And I have a great respect for the fact that the incumbents have served for three years, and I know from working with school board members that it's a tough job. It doesn't pay very much. You get people yelling at you all the time. It's hard to please people. You have to have kind of a thick skin. I think I do. Um, so I think I'll fit right in there. But one of the things that sort of keeps coming up is the fact that they, they're talking about managing versus micromanaging. And they, they say, well, we hired an excellent superintendent. Now we just stand back and let her do the job. I have a strong regard for Dr. Sue. Um, she was my husband's principal over at Bradford. I have known her for a long time. I, I really have a great respect for her. And I know that she's not going to leave if somebody asks her tough questions. And I think there's a different difference between micromanaging and managing. I think the school board has a job to do. I think they need to ask the questions. I think that I realize that some meetings need to be an executive session, but that has to be kept to a minimum because I think that the light of day and having meetings in public is the best thing. Although I, I do realize some things have to be behind closed doors. You're not going to have an expulsion hearing out in public or something like that. But anything that affects the teachers and the taxpayers really should be held in public, and the public should be allowed to comment whenever possible. I think that's just open government, that's democracy in action, and that's what I believe. Thank you, Mary Motter, who is a candidate for KUSD School Board, for sitting down and talking about some of the important issues facing our school district today. Thank you. Now we are sitting down with Zach Jacobs. He is also a candidate running for KUSD School Board on the ballot April 4th. Zach, thank you so much for sitting down with us and having this conversation. Um, would you like to start out by telling us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, my name is Zach, and um, I'm a 23-year-old student at Carthage College. 
Uh, I'm prepping for medical school right now. Um, what got me involved was the idea that, you know, I, I, along with a lot of other young people, have been sort of dissatisfied with government on a local level, on a state level, on a national level. And uh, especially after the Democratic presidential primary last year and then the general election this uh, past fall, this idea came that if I want to see change, I need to be the person to bring that change. And so that was sort of the initial reason why I got involved. It was a way that I could help my community and I could take, I guess, personal action beyond complaining on Facebook about issues. The thing is, win or lose, I've learned that this is something that I have a passion for. So, you know, if I win the election and I become a member of the board, that's fantastic. You know, I, I ran a solid campaign and uh, people agreed with my viewpoints. That would be great. But even if I lose, that isn't the end of my involvement. I, I want to stay around. I want to stay involved. And I want to keep trying to do whatever I can to help like, my community and, you know, my people, my fellow, my fellow Kenoshans. So I don't regret a single thing. What, in your opinion, is the biggest issue currently facing the KUSD school board? I would say right now there's really three significant issues. One of the biggest ones the district is facing right now is the fact that our salary schedule for educators has been frozen for the past four years. So uh, before Act 10 was passed... Uh, the way things functioned were, you know, a teacher or an educator or any member of the staff really would work at KUSD and for each year that they work there, they would see their salary increase based on an already defined like salary step. So if you've been here for five years, you make X amount of dollars. You've been here for 10 years, you make Y amount of dollars. But Act 10 sort of threw some of that out of loop because it used to work on long-standing contracts between teachers and staff and the district and everything. And a lot of other districts have already addressed that problem, but ours hasn't. And the real problem with this is you see teachers who've been around for many years becoming dissatisfied, you know, their career isn't really going where they thought it would, and a lot of them are seeking to go to other districts that maybe value them better or pay them at better market values. Um, and then there's newer, younger teachers who are coming out of college and they have, you know, ten, twenty, fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt, and that's being optimistic in a lot of cases. And some of them have children and they're coming in and they're seeing that, oh, I, I might make thirty nine thousand dollars a year forever. That's all I'll ever make in this district. So a lot of them are looking out to other districts in Wisconsin and outside the state too. So that's a very serious issue because, you know, if we start losing teachers and we're not able to attract more, we're not really going to have, you know, anybody to teach in our classrooms. Um, another significant issue, significant issue is uh, we're currently, a as a district, appealing an already decided lawsuit case between uh, a trans man student, Ash Whitaker, and the Kenosha Unified District. And uh, it was already decided by a judge that, you know, Ash and other trans students should be able to use their bathroom of choice, but we're currently appealing this to a higher court, and I've actually heard talk of people trying to get this up to the Supreme Court of the United States. That would be disastrous. Like, times are changing, and we don't want, 
we don't want our district and our town to get that kind of national attention on such a contentious issue. We especially don't want to become the LGBT community's version of Brown versus Board of Education. It could be very bad. Whether we win or lose, it would be a disaster. You know, it's not something where the district should steamroll over, you know, parents and students and educators who have concerns about, you know, about um, trans students using their bathroom of choice because it's natural for people to have concerns when there are pretty significant changes in the way our society is. But you need to find a way that everyone feels safe, everyone feels comfortable in an environment that's conducive to learning. Um, and that's not what's really happening. It's pushing one hardline anti-trans agenda. And that would be just as bad as saying to everyone who has their concerns, no, your concerns aren't valid. It needs to have more nuance. Yeah. The third issue is this sort of disconnect between the board lately and the citizenry, the, the community. The incumbents that are currently up for re-election have touted lately that the board is much more stable, it's calmer, but it also hasn't done as much, hasn't done had as much debate, hasn't had as much discourse between different ideas. And yeah, those kind of discussions can lead to sometimes heated discussions, but those discussions need to be happening. And what's been going on, and I like our our superintendent and the administration very much, but our board hasn't really been challenging the administration on significant issues facing the district. And that's one of the key roles of being a board member. You're an elected representative. You're supposed to be there to protect the best interests of the community and bring their concerns to the administration. And I don't think that's been done. How much can a district be expected to increase salaries when state and federal funding continues to be cut or limited? You know, there's certainly things that the district spends money on that it doesn't need to spend money on. There's, you know, things like travel costs. There's redundancies in certain positions. Um, you know, it, and, you know, it, it is a significant issue with, with state aid and state funding. It has been cut pretty significantly or was cut pretty significantly back, uh, back when Act 10 was passed or right before Act 10 was passed. And, uh, you know, right now the governor is talking about including some more funding for education in the budget, but that funding comes with a lot of strings attached, and to be honest, it's not a very large increase. It's around $200 per student, which when you think about the kind of budget that the district has, somewhere in the, vicinity, somewhere in the area of $350 million, that's not that much of an increase. Um, and, you know, there are ways that we could actually, as a, as a district and a city, you know, and two villages, um, actually take this issue head on ourselves. Um, so currently the way that a lot of other districts in Wisconsin have taken care of this issue with Act 10 and the cuts to funding have been to hold public tax referendums where they could put it to the people, to the taxpayers, and say, you know, we want to raise property taxes by X amount, what do you think? If you say yes, we'll do it. If you say no, we won't do it. And it puts the power directly in the taxpayers' hands. Um, and the thing is, is it's been shown, it's got, they've succeeded, these referendums have succeeded over 80% of the time since, since or in the last four years. So clearly people value education very much. Um, 
And, you know, there's been some, some sort of fear-mongering about this, that well, what if you do this referendum and then taxpayers decide, oh, we don't want to do this anymore? Well, if that happens, that's going to be because of either one or two things. One, you didn't spend that money wisely, or two, you didn't, you know, you didn't present the referendum to taxpayers in the way you should. You need to explain to people really how little of a cost it would be, an increase in their taxes, and what benefits it would come to them and their children in the classroom. You know, the, the, one of the great things about public education as opposed to private education, you know, with private education, I, uh, you know, my parents could have sent me to like prairie school or something, and it would be thousands upon thousands of dollars a year in tuition. But, you know, with public education, instead they pay, you know, a couple thousand dollars in, in property taxes every year. And in return, they get a high-quality education from a public school. That's the best thing about public education, is you split the cost amongst everybody, and everybody benefits from it. You need to look at all the options, and you need to consider what we need to do now. You know, we can't always wait for the state or the federal government to come and save us. Zach, what is your take on Common Core? Common Core is interesting because... There's different ways you can implement Common Core in your schooling. It's a set of standards on a federal level that schools have to meet. How you meet those standards, that can be up to the district and to the teachers in the classroom. Now, sometimes with Common Core, you know, it it's tough to come up with a new curriculum to, uh, to meet those standards, and it's expensive sometimes. What's happened in a lot of districts is Common Core comes with like a suggested curriculum and a suggested way of running classrooms. Um, I mean, because not all, it's not all the time that educators and districts will have the time or resources to come up with their own curriculum to meet these standards. And the thing I've heard is that these new curriculums and these new practices that are suggested by Common Core and adopted by a lot of districts just they really don't you know make the grade what is something that you would try and improve if you were elected you know there's been a lot of talk here and there for a very long time about the board holding open forum meetings where members of the public can actually come and motion for things you know speak to the board directly not just the comments and concerns but what they say gets put on an agenda now I don't think that's. I don't think anybody on the board is actually going to go for that because they every every board has been talking about this for a very long time in Kenosha. I would say, as an individual, personally, I would hold open meetings. I would hold hold town halls in the public at least once a month to hear the concerns from parents and members of the community, and then bring those directly to the board. And keep members of the community posted on what's happening to resolve their concerns. You know, it's uh, like I said at the very beginning. It's it's this thing. It's almost like we've forgotten that as a school board member, you're an elected representative, and so that's what you got to do. You've got to represent. What is the overall message you want to relay to voters before April fourth? Well, I guess the one thing I would say is whether you agree with me or whether you don't. Democracy is not a spectator sport. If you are dissatisfied with the way that your local governance is functioning or your state governance or federal governance is functioning, you need to go out and vote. You need to, you need to inform yourself about the issues 
and then find someone you agree with and vote for them. You know, especially in local and county and state politics. Like, you know, we, we like to talk about federal politics so often because it's a big, grand show, but most of the things that directly affect your life and my life on a day-to-day basis are things that happen on a local, a county, and a state level. And those seem to fall by the wayside very often. So, yeah, I guess that's my last statement is uh, get out and vote. And that was Zach Jacobs, a candidate for KUSD School Board. He will also be on the ballot April 4th. So be sure to get out and vote. Thank you. Next week on Forward Kenosha Presents, I will be sitting down with Peter Barca and Todd Onstead to go a little more in depth with them about the state budget and the redistricting issue that we are currently facing. So be sure to tune in for that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and make sure you get out and cast your ballot on April 4th.